I want to just start again over in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And just uh, refresh your thinking tonight. The scripture says that it shall come to pass. I like that. So whatever follows this, how many know God means business? He says it shall come to pass. If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God. We know that is his preserved word for you and me to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee high above all nations on the earth and all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. So God brackets this that all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. He brackets it on one side with if you hearken and guess how he finishes it. Now the bird says, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. When you see in the Hebrew poetry doublets like this, you should pay attention to the meaning behind those doublets, the repetition. That same thing is true even in narratives in books of the Bible like Deuteronomy. It's not there by accident. It says, hearken, then this will happen, and completes the statement by saying again, hearken. And we know that hearken means to hear with an attitude to do. It's an attitude. Um, you know, when uh, I was studying, you know, the past several years in, in the area of leadership, I actually did my work in a thing called organizational commitment. You say, what is that? Commitment basically is an attitude. And the study is grounded in the local church, say the local church. And basically, this, this thing called commitment involves one type of commitment where you feel like you just, you want to be a part of that. You want to commit. There's another dimension to this uh, where you feel like you need to be a part of it. There's some tangible benefit. It could even be material, like with a job or something like that. You have to have the benefits, etc. The third type of commitment is where you feel obligated to do it. Grandma was a Presbyterian, so I'm a Presbyterian. Everybody say, God bless the Presbyterians. But how many understand God's desire for you and me from a spiritual standpoint is that we want to be? See, it's an attitude. Say it with me. It's an attitude. And it's the same thing with hearkening. It's an attitude. I'm not, I'm not sitting here just to hear things said, write them down, put them up on a shelf one day and forget about it. I'm actually actively listening so I can do the things that I'm hearing. That's the difference between hearkening and typical phrases we would use in English that just refer to physical sounds coming in. And then we may respond with assent, or if I say mental assent, agreeing mentally, shaking your head, even saying amen doesn't necessarily mean that you're hearkening. You're hearkening when you walk out and do the things that you've actually heard. Does that make sense? So that's what the goal is, and that's where the promise is. And that's why James 1.22 says, Be you what? Doers of the word and not hearers only. If James were trying to basically replicate the teaching of Deuteronomy 28, he would say, Hearken to them. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Well, what does it mean? What's, what's the problem when we're not doers? Well, let's read a little bit more of this from James chapter 1. Looking at this thing from verse 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Prove yourselves obedient to the word is what the Weymouth translation says. Do what it says. Shout that out. Do what it says. Do what it says. 
anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Weymouth says they'll find blessing in the very act of obedience. Even while you're doing it, you're being blessed. Even while you act all, at that moment, the blessing's already being released in that situation. I'm not talking about sometime later, according to James, the blessing is rolling and flowing even at the time of obedience. That's why it's so critical to do what? Hearken. Not just hear physical sounds, but actually have a mind to do the things that you have actually heard in the Word of God. And I love this, this phrase, it looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. What happens when you look at the Word of God with an attitude to do it? It brings freedom. Now, it may be physical freedom, psychological freedom, emotional freedom. It could be financial freedom. I don't know what, what you need tonight the most. Maybe some combination of those. All I know is your freedom is not found in ignoring the Word. Your freedom is found in looking intently into the freedom that is given there, the liberty through that law of liberty. How do you know that freedom is good? You know how Christians get bound up again after they get saved? By ignoring the law of liberty. Look, you can look into uh, the denominational handbook. You won't get liberty that way. You can look into a hymn book, and you're not going to get liberty that way. You want to know why? Because some hymns are scriptural. And some, some are not. You're not going to look into the newspaper and get liberty. You're just not. But where will you get it from? In the Word of God. So remind yourself of these simple principles before we move on to that. Number one, hearing without doing causes a deception in our lives. If you want to crank up the level of deception against you, and how do you understand we don't need to crank up the level of deception against us? It's already out there in full, mo in full measure. But if you want to do that, listen with an attitude not to do. It will cause deception to rise up in your life. And you know what's you know what the big problem is with deception? People that are deceived don't know they're deceived. Once people take a bite of that apple, even solid Christians, the pastor can't convince them otherwise, the Holy Ghost can't convince them otherwise, and nobody can reach them. So that's why you don't want to give deception any place in your life. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Hearing the Word of God tonight and then not doing it increases deception in your life. You've heard us often say that you're accountable to the things that you've been taught and heard, and that's true. There's a very good reason why you want to be mindful of that. Because if you blow off the things that you have heard, that you have received, it's going to increase deception in your life. And I don't care who you are, uh, you really can't afford to get deceived right now in this world. You can't afford to buy into the lies that are out there right now. The second principle is this. Hearing without doing makes us forget what we have heard. Did you know that for the diligent, there's an anointing to recall by the Spirit the things you have heard? In fact, one of the agencies or purposes of the Holy Spirit is to bring all things to your remembrance. But if you hear without doing, you actually have a form of spiritual amnesia. How many like to absolutely solidify the Word of God in your life? Like concrete, fixed in your spirit, established in your spirit, 
you do that by having an attitude of hearing and then doing. That explains why there's some people in this ministry that heard the Word of God and believed the Word of God and took off like a rocket and they're still sorry. They've experienced amazing things from God in them and through them. And other people could have been in the ministry the same amount of time and yet little to no progress is made. Why would that be? Part of the reason is they're hearing, but the attitude is not to do. There's just something special in their minds about hearing the word. No, if you don't do what you're actually receiving, you don't operate in that anointing to recall. You'll forget things. Uh, you've heard the phrase, um, you know, well, maybe you've done this or not. How many of you ever grew up riding a bike, a two-wheel, right? Right? The first you thought it was going to be a horrible experience. And then one day, you know, Daddy lets you go. I remember when Timothy first learned to ride. Were there some bumps and bruises? Amen. Yes, there were. But one day he just took off down the road. He was excited. I was excited. Kelly was terrified. But other than that, it was a good day. And then uh, we got him for his 10th birthday, a little, little motorized scooter. And I think it was, I don't know, 11 or 12. He took it down to stories, crossed a couple roads. Kelly was praying in the Holy Ghost the whole time. Amen. He brought back some cinnamon rolls and bacon. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He thought he was in high cotton that day. But, you know, once you learn how to ride a bike, could you not just jump back on there and ride it again? This principle tells you it's not that way. Revelation can be lost. I mean, the same thing other than the conditioning right now, I could jump in the water and, and swim like a maniac. Now, I'm not going to last very long because I'm not in the same kind of shape, but the mechanics are still there. If I had to, I could float till Jesus came back because I know the mechanics. I understand what to do. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, no matter what you did, put floaties on him, put flippers on his feet, put him in the water, he sinks. He's the only man I ever saw move his feet to flip the flippers and actually go down in the water. It's amazing that any of us kids could swim, let alone excel in swimming. You asked me to jump in today, or jump in, and wouldn't have forgotten anything. But the things of God, if you don't do them, you tend to forget them. Amen. What's the whole point? Uh, we, we don't want to be people that forget the principles and the concepts. If you receive liberty from something in the Word of God, dear God, that should be precious to you. It should be something that you hold on to and you don't want to lose. So hearing without doing causes deception in our lives. Hearing without doing makes us forget what we have heard. Third, hearing, hearing without doing blocks the blessing. Watch this. If we're blessed in our doing, then we're blocked if we're not doing. I don't want to be blocked from what God has for me. I'm already blessed, but how do you understand there are levels and there are dimensions and there are wonderful things that God has for us, empowerments that we haven't even stumbled onto yet. There's more out there for you. How many like to tap into everything God has for you and do everything he's called you to do, operate in every anointing and purpose of his heart? It's great about the intents of your heart, but how do you want to start tapping into the intents of God's heart for you? Do you know that the dream, biggest dream you've got for yourself pales, pales in comparison to what God has for you? you know that most uh, of the desires of God's heart are never realized for his people and it's not his fault? 
Turn to somebody and tell them God has big dreams for you. Big things for you. How about, how about realizing the desires of God's heart for us? We're so satisfied down here with a little bit of what we might scratch and claw to get in our own heart, but what about the bigness of the heart he has for you? We've talked ourselves into believing that greatness is only for a special called people in the body of Christ. If you've resigned and you're on the backside of life already, you need to get that spirit off of you. I like what Keith Morris said, you know, some of us are going to get to heaven and we're going to knock on the doors of people who went before us and ask them why they left early. Say, why would you say something like that? Because right now, on earth, you have the ability to be a part of the redemption of God. You can touch lives here. Once you get there, it's over for you. Does that make sense? He was kind of funny when he said it because we can get up there and we kind of pull people apart and say, no, uh, how come you left early? You, You know what you did when you left that way? You left all this extra work on us. The bottom line is you got to be careful what you, you allow yourself to meditate upon, thinking that somehow God's ways and days for you are over. They're not. And I'll tell you something else. You've lost somebody that's, that's in heaven right now. They're not lost. They're perfectly fine. And God's dream for you didn't die when they did. That's a life in the pit of hell. Is it okay if the Holy Ghost talks to you prophetically tonight? God's dream for you is what matters. Now, some dreams you may have had for you, and that person may have died, right? But God's dream for you is very much alive. And if you're not careful, you'll let these things slip when God has great things in store for you. God's dream, God's big thing for you to do. We don't want to block those blessings, do we, church? We want to hear, and then what? And then do. Come on, say, God has a big dream for me. He's not done with me. Come on, say it like you believe. My best days are ahead of me. Do you know that God can accomplish more in a single month of a consecrated believer's life than an entire lifetime when somebody is not? Amen. Glory to God. He's got a big dream for you. But you got to hear and what? And you have to do. Number four, hearing without doing indicates a dead, lifeless, and fruitless faith. Faith without works is what? Is dead. We don't work so we can be saved. We work because we are saved. If we're saved, there are certain markers, in other words, in our life. By what we do, we indicate whether we're actually a believing believer or not. Are we actively demonstrating that faith every single day of our lives. Now, in the scripture here, there are four steps to being a doer. We talked about this Sunday morning. The first is we look intently into the perfect law that gives liberty. Remember that intently means with earnest and eager attention. It means to be eager, attentive to what you're actually looking at. And we believe and understand that it's perfect and infallible, and it actually gives us freedom or liberty when we do. So that's the first step. The second step is we continue over time to look intently into the Word. You don't get excited because you were challenged in a sermon somewhere and read the Bible for another two days and then then fall back into your old habit again. You continue in these things. It's brilliant what James has actually said here because he knows them and he knows what? He knows us. People get excited, do it for a while, then put it back down again. 
It's not just the kids that go into their toy box and pick out a toy and play with it for five minutes and throw it aside and pick out another one. I have a granddaughter and a puppy, and both of them do the same thing. They pick out a toy, then they walk away from it. And wherever it is, that's where it lies. When I come home in the afternoon, it's a tornado in our front room because we have Juliana and Hershey. And you know what? A lot of Christians are the same way. What do they do? <laughs> they play around with something for a little while, then set it aside. You need to look intently, but do what? Continue in the things that you have learned. Continue. That's a, that's a resonating, uh, often repeated concept in Scripture. Paul putting you in remembrance of these things. In John chapter 8, continue. You know, those that continue to hurt him actually would become disciples, and the truth would, of course, make them free. But the key is you have to continue. Look at it and then be excited at the same time, you know, tonight, a month from now, and six months from now, and a year from now. Can I have an amen? Come on, say, I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. Look at my face. This is my excited face. Praise the Lord. Number three, we remember what we heard. Maintain active revelation. Maintain active revelation. What you have received revelation on, preserve and protect it. Remind yourself. Really excited for the graduates this year because this Sunday we're going to celebrate those that graduated high school and college. If you wonder who this was for, uh, even the younger ones will have their time soon. But this year we're giving out Charles Capps' mini booklet. And it's filled with confessions for health and victory and prosperity. And we're going to sow that into the graduates' lives. Can I tell you something? We've given that booklet to the staff through the years and to other people that were leaders in ministry, and the ones that took that book and just ran with it are doing phenomenal things for God, the faith it will produce. But, you know, the, the principle is this. It's the revelation that you're excited about that's actually working for you. You have to stay what? Excited. Hey, look what God showed me. Look what God did in my life. I want to see him do that more and more. So we remember what we have heard. Amen. You know, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's is a variable, it's a horrible thing. But you know what's worse? Spiritual dementia. Natural dementia affects time and place on this earth. Spiritual dementia will affect you for eternity and will affect other people in their eternity. We have to make sure we hold on to these things. Look at somebody and say they're precious. Every single time God's given us great revelation, something exploded on the inside of us, we should be thankful to God and preserve and protect that. Amen. If you have a revelation of the new birth, protect it. You have a revelation on the baptism of the Holy Ghost, protect it. You have a revelation on the gifts, protect it. You have a revelation on holiness, protect it. You have a revelation on righteousness, protect it. You have a revelation on the power of your tongue, protect it. Don't slip back into carnality and religion. Just live your life like everybody else naturally. Stay with the things God has shown you. And then, of course, the fourth principle, and that's what we're talking about the past couple of weeks, is actually we do it. We put into practice the things that we have heard. We're ongoing. We're consistent. And it says you'll be blessed in what you do. How many want to crank up the blessing in your life? I don't mean suddenly God's going to bless you. You're blessed right now because you have Jesus. Do you believe that? How many of you say, I have the Lord? How many of you say you're baptized in the Holy Ghost? You're blessed. But how many of you like to see more of the tangible empowerment released in your life? Watch this. 
every time you obey God, you're blessed in what you do. The blessing is released. The blessing is working in you now. And you just thought, well, I'm just doing this stuff, you know, mindlessly. I don't know why I'm doing this. Well, first of all, you're doing it because it pleases the Lord. Because you're here to serve others and not yourself. But never lose sight of the principle that as you do these things that you have heard, the blessing and the empowerment is operating in your life. I sense it this year for, for so many of God's people who have persevered. They didn't flake out last year. They didn't give up on the things of God. They didn't buy into all the lies that are out there. I see the favor and blessing operating in your life like never before. That means empowerment with the blessing, and it means opportunity with the favor of God. Can you receive that tonight? Say it with me, opportunity for me, and favor for me, blessing for me, empowerment for me. What an amazing thing God does. He gives us the open door, then he gives us the power to succeed. What good is an open door if you don't have the power? What good is the power if you don't have the open door? Well, you're going to have both in Jesus' name. I said you're going to have both in Jesus' name. You're going to see new things happen in your life, and it all comes down, listen to me carefully, that amazing attitude of hearkening. Not everybody in the body of Christ is like that. Not everybody at Hope Harbor Church is like that. Amen. But everybody that comes to the Overcomers Club has got it. That's a pretty good place to say amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's me. Some of you are thinking, is he talking about me? <laughs> say, the Overcomers Club. I have that spirit. I have that attitude. Do you know what another name for that spirit is, that attitude? It's the spirit of faith. Spirit of faith is a spirit of believing God. Spirit of believing God is believing enough to do. Someone that says, I believe, but they don't do, they don't have the spirit of faith. It's pointless if Caleb silences the people and says, we can surely take the mountain, and then also when it's time to take the mountain, he steps down. With the same spirit of faith, the scripture says, I believe and therefore I what? I speak or I say, but you know what follows the speaking and the saying? The doing. Can you grasp us tonight? The spirit of attitude, of doing, hearing and doing, it's the same thing as the spirit of faith. But if you're not careful, you think about the spirit of faith as just being, well, believing God's word. No, it's believing it enough to do it. The real mark of what I really believe is what I do. The real mark of what you really believe is what you do. And fortunately for us, uh, you know, James didn't leave us twisted in the wind. He actually gives us three habits of people that actually operate in the spirit or attitude of hearkening, the spirit of faith, believing is doing. Shout that out. Believing is doing. All in this powerful chapter that, that deals with not being hearers only, but doers, so we won't be deceived. Look at verse 26 and the, uh, verse 27. Let's talk about these three areas for a moment. Those who consider themselves religious, and I want to define religious here not as people who are dead ornamental, but what James is really saying here is those that call themselves believing believers, consecrated unto God, actually walking in, in the new birth. They call themselves, in other words, believers. Say, I'm a believer. Say, I call myself a believer. 
he could have just as well said those who consider themselves Christians. The term Christian was, was not as common as it is today. So the term religion coming out of Judaism would have been very, very familiar to them. And now that they know the Lord, they would have connected the concept of religion to the concept of the Christian faith or the teachings of some of the teachings of Christ and his apostles. But for your sake tonight, those who consider themselves believers, raise your hand if you consider yourself a believer. Okay, and then we're in good company, aren't we? Say it with me. I'm a believer. And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. Deceive themselves. And their religion or believing is what? Worthless. Without power. Moot. Void. Worthless. Religion or believing that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now you should take a, you know, a close look at those, but you should also back up and try to see what he's talking about categorically for the Christian life. He's saying that Christian life is not just believing on its own, but believing that proves the believing with action. Look at this practical action. And think about it from his perspective. How many know the half-brother of Jesus, he, he could have said a lot of things there. Could he not have emphasized just about anything? It's like with John. How many believe that John knew the Lord? And yet, look what he focused on. He focused on the love concept. When we get together Sunday, we're going to talk about love as the master switch for our supernatural increase. Amen. Because it directly affects our believing. John didn't put those things there by accident, and James is not putting these things here by accident. If we really want to call ourselves believers, it's going to be marked by specific behavior. It's not a faith just to believe. It's a faith to actually do faith without works is what? Dead, which means it doesn't accomplish anything. We can believe everything under the sun we want to, but nothing's going to happen with that faith alone. Let me tell you something. Um, we're faith people. We're people of the Spirit. Say it, I'm a faith person. I'm a word person. I'm a Holy Ghost person. Uh, calling yourself a faith person doesn't mean you're getting results. Watch this. The blessing is actually tied to the doing. I do because I believe, and because I do, I'm blessed in what I do. James doesn't say I'm blessed singularly by what I believe. Faith people need to be taught more than just how to walk by faith, how to believe. They need to be taught to take that to its logical next step, how to believe by doing. Uh, Jerry Seville brought this out years ago. In the scripture, the Bible talks about no faith, little faith. Can you recall some of those instances? He talked about great faith. He also talked about a thing called perfected faith. You know what perfected faith is? Write this down. It's the highest level of faith there is. Do you know that you can, you can get great results even with a mustard seed of faith? 
a tiny bit of faith that moves you to actually can accomplish supernatural things. The greatest faith of all is perfected faith or mature faith. Write that down. It's mature faith. Perfected faith is actually faith that acts. Faith that does. Amen. The highest level. So James, unlike uh, Luther's opinion of, of James, James, according to Luther, should never be in the Bible. How do you know he can't get everything right? He did give us justification by faith. Amen. Absolutely. He did give us sola scriptura. You know what that means? The scriptures alone. Not the scriptures and what Rome says. The word is first place and final authority. Not the word and the Pope. Are you catching what I'm saying? Is that tendency still in the body of Christ today? Somebody just got healed. Just felt the spirit of God. Somebody just got healed. Praise the Lord. You take it, you receive it. In Luther's day, it was the scriptures alone and not the scriptures plus what the Pope says. Most of you have figured that out, that even if he says something, just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other because he is not your source of inspiration or truth. You're not under his authority. I realize the Catholic Church has a program on TV that says coming home. And you and I that are Protestants are all flagrant, you know, prodigals from the Catholic Church. No, you're not. You're members of the one true church. And you have no Lord except Jesus Christ. You have no master. And you have no need of man to be a mediator between you and the Lord. Not a pastor, not a deacon, not a pope. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? It's Jesus and it's Jesus and it's Jesus. That's the key here. But you know what's happened in the modern charismatic church is we've been in danger of adding things just like the Catholics did. Sola Scriptura and the utterance of the Pope. Sola Scriptura today and the utterance of the so-called prophets. Are you here? No matter how anointed, no prophet in this land, their utterance will never ever be on the level of the Word of God, ever. And if you believe they are, then you're doing the same thing that Luther rebelled against in his day. It's just instead of one edict from the Pope, you've got a bunch of little popes moving right along. There's a value in prophecy. Oh, absolutely. When it's done correctly, it instructs, it edifies, it encourages, it helps. Sometimes it's predictive, hallelujah. There's, there are real prophets just like there are real pastors in the land. And just like there are some phony pastors in the land, there's some phony prophets in the land. And your job is not to try to figure it all out. Your job is to just make the word of God first place and final authority, and you'll discern when somebody's trying to pope you. There's a sermon. Look at somebody and tell them, don't let anybody pope you. If somebody showed up, you know, in the full gown and outfit of the Pope and started saying things like the current Pope says about salvation, about Jesus, and everybody is going and worshiping the same God, and all the other nonsenses out there and alternative lifestyles are perfectly fine with God, that's like a man who's never even read the Scriptures. But you got to be careful just because somebody's in a position of influence that you don't let them Pope you too. Hallelujah. 
Some of you are going to walk out of here, you got nothing else out of this message, but don't let somebody pope you. Whatever it takes. Hallelujah, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Because they're out there. But if you commit yourself to the Word of God as first place and final authority, you can appreciate the ministry of all the gifts in the body of Christ, the pastor, teachers, evangelists, prophets, you know, and apostles. You can appreciate them all, and you can appreciate all the gifts of the Spirit of God without elevating any of those gifts, the ministry preparation gifts, or the gifts of the Spirit on the same level as the Word of God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, in the day we live in, don't let anybody pope you and talk you into thinking that anything has a higher level of authority than the Word of God. Don't care what church organization says it. Don't care what denomination says it. Don't care what the media says. Don't make any difference what you see on YouTube. Don't make any difference what you read on Facebook. It doesn't matter. There is only one Word. as the revelation of your Lord and Savior. How dare anybody try to put their throne above Him? Are you here tonight? James and John, their mother, they wanted to sit, you know, one on his right and one on his left. And what did he say? Those places are only are given by what? Established by God himself. You know what they were saying? We want to be co-equal with you. And I mean, understand that we are joint heirs with him. Amen. We are brothers. We're not slaves anymore, but we're what? We're children of God. We're heirs of God. But make no mistake about it. Anybody who wants to align themselves at the same level as the Word of God, it's the same Spirit. Amen. Come on, look at somebody say, don't let anybody pope you. And dear God, if you think somebody is trying to pope you and you're confused about it, please reach out to your spiritual leaders to depope you. <laughs> let us help you. Because we're not really in danger of what he does. We're really in danger of the people that we come across all the time in the modern body of Christ. You're far more likely to be deceived by somebody on Facebook than by you believing something the Pope said yesterday. I'm far more concerned about all the little Popes running around. Hallelujah. So let's talk about these three ideas. First of all, of the three habits of genuine believers. That's what James is saying. If you're really a believer, you're going to be marked by three powerful habits, three powerful behaviors, three powerful things that you are doing. If you're really a faith person, if you're really a believer, number one, you're going to control your mouth. Oh, I'm this and I'm that and I do this and I do that and praise the Lord. But you don't control your mouth. You're not conducting yourself as a real believer. Has a lot of application for us. Uh, if you're prone to deception, lying, dishonesty, disingenuous behavior and speech, you're not conducting yourself as a believer. Believers control their mouth. Believers are, you know, not habitually subject to profanity, not habitually subject to gossiping and telling lies and tailbearing and running your mouth about other people. Have you not learned this yet, that if somebody will come to you about somebody else, they'll come to somebody else about you? Say it with me. My ears aren't garbage cans. 
And that means family, you know, family will try to use your ears as garbage cans. At the workplace, they'll try to use your ears as garbage cans. In the church, some people think your ears are garbage cans. I, I taught this at Hopkinsville, and our, our music director over there, Nikki Morrison, he's with Jesus now, but Nikki actually wrote a song about my ears are not garbage cans. I can still remember the melody in my heart today. We used to sing it. Say with my ears are not garbage cans. You shouldn't have any, believers should not have any time for that nonsense. And you say, that's right, Pastor, I don't do that. But you'll sit there and listen to nonsense on the two for hours on end. You'll sit there actively listening to news organizations to make it their ambition to lie intentionally. If it goes in, darling, it's going to come out. Amen. Your mouth should not be used as a negative force for influence. Period. And don't let people get into your ear because out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. We fill your heart with good things. So, you know, for those of us raised classically and traditionally in church, we got the negative part. We understood we weren't supposed to lie and cuss and, you know, tell stories and, and you know, be people that were, were slanders, whatever the case may be. Right now, we have a nation of people who slander without any reservation at all. And there's no accountability. Well, know why there's no accountability on social media? Because Congress is protecting social media. They're technically an unrestricted bulletin board, and we have no responsibility for what people post there. But if you post something against abortion or you post a certain political persuasion, they'll block you or take you off. Does that sound like a bulletin board? Come out to a public bulletin board and put up, you know, fish fry, 6 o'clock Friday night, and somebody rips it down? Is that a bulletin board? No, it's not a bulletin board. It's a news organization. It's a propaganda machine. And you'll expose yourself to that and wonder why it stops getting into your spirit. Amen. Um, so people will just post things. They don't know if they're true or not. That's not what a believer does. A believer will not post something they don't know for sure, number one, that it's true. Watch this. And number two, just because it's true doesn't necessarily mean the Lord wants you to post it. I can't tell you how many posts I've erased before I posted them. Hallelujah. Why? A believer has control over what? Over the mouth. And the mouth has many agents out there, including keyboards, smart devices. So if we're not doing that, we know we're supposed to be using our mouth for what? For good. Edifying people, building them up, speaking the word of God, speaking the truth in love, confessing the word of God. Christianity is, is historically called the great confession, and we confess the things of God that we believe, and confession, the Bible says in Romans 10, is made unto what? Salvation. Confession of healing is made unto healing. Confession of prosperity is made unto prosperity. Confession of deliverance is made unto deliverance. You know, confession in any area will be made unto the corresponding redemption provided by God. Our mouth should be forces that help us, not hurt us. And yet some of us are our worst enemies. Don't say things you don't want to see them come to pass. Does it take some discipline? Yes, remember what I said earlier about holding on to Revelation and guarding Revelation? Because this is one that slips all the time. Control your mouth uh, doesn't necessarily mean just invest in a big roll of duct tape. 
You want to know why? Because you'll find some other way to communicate. Believers communicate a certain way. We are the solution, not the problem. Anybody that knows me knows that I have some choice things to say to the current president. Are you here today? Um, I have some choice things I like to say to people in high places who still don't understand. God said of God's people, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. I got a call from the international director of uh, church liaison for the Fellowship of Christian and Jews that you now as a church support. And he called to say how much his heart was encouraged about what Hope Harbor is doing to support that ministry. And right now with everything happening in Israel, you can see why it's more important. Because those ministries and outreaches are threatened by active warfare. 4,000 missiles and our president telling Jew, the Jewish people they should stand down. That's not blessing them. This same man, when he was a U.S. senator, told Menachem Begin, who later would sign a peace accord with Egypt with Anwar Sadat, who was assassinated by radicals for entering into a peace agreement with Israel and Begin. He told Begin that you do what I want you to do or we're cutting off your military assistance. That's not blessing the people of God. This is not something the current administration just made up. They've been doing this for decades. What are we going to do? We're going to bless Israel. We're going to say good things about her. We're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen? And we're going to bless them in practical ways as well. Amen? Uh, his name is Dr. Paul Pano. Hopefully we'll, we'll get him here sometime to do a, a personal introduction of what's going on, a first-hand account of that ministry. Um, but it's, it's interesting, and, and, you know, the current director uh, actually calls, you know, donors and leaves a message for them. I, I shared the one with you about the blessing she did, but she's done others, and she makes phone calls and leaves messages, and she's doing a phenomenal job with the ministry that her father actually uh, gave to her by, by blessing her before he left this life, and uh, it's amazing what God is doing. And you're involved in that. That's what we should be doing, blessing Israel. Can I tell you something, though? According to what James said in James 3, we shouldn't have blessing and cursing coming out of the same well. Right? Say what we should bless Israel. You should also be blessing people. And bless means to say good things about. Your mama may have taught you that a different way. If you got nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. To bless means to say good things about. Turn around and tell, tell somebody, I bless you in Jesus' name. Real believers bless with their tongue. They don't destroy. They build up. They don't tear down. Amen? Say, well, I'm a believer. I'm going to build up. All the people out there all day long that tear down, shouldn't we be the ones that build up? Amen? Somebody is tearing somebody apart at work or the devil's coming against their mind or having a hard time in the family. Shouldn't we be the ones to come by with a blessing? Yes. Amen? You can do it. You can handle this thing. You can rise above this thing. You can be victorious over this thing. I'm pulling, that's the voice that they need to hear. That's what a believer would do, not pile on.
Amen. Hallelujah. Keeping a tight rein on the tongue, according to James, in the natural is not possible. Compares it to fire. Um, notice I said in the natural. But you and I are not limited to the natural things. We have things like the word of God that we can put in our mouth. We have things like praise that we can put in our mouth. We have things like, like speaking in tongues that we can put in our mouth. I promise you this, if you'll practice that when you're about to unload, just start praising God. Start confessing the word of God. Pray in the Holy Ghost. It will tame your tongue. Amen. Bible says, you know, when you put a bit into the horse's mouth, what happens? You control the whole life. You control the whole body. That's what God is saying to you. Your body, your life is going to go in the direction of what that mouth is doing. Whose job is it to control that bit? Who's the one supposed to be holding the reins? Well, that mouth wants to do what it wants to do. May I help you out here? Your mouth is out there on its own living. It's connected to a heart. And who's responsible for the content of the heart? Them, brother, are those guys. No, use guys. Say me. I, I tell this story just to illustrate this, but in 1980, I was in Germany, outside of Hamburg, Germany, in a little village called Amersbeck too, and we were all put with different families to live, and the girl across the street actually had beautiful horses, and Came knocking on the door one day and said, you know, uh, you know the, the guys you live with, they ride from time to time with us. Would you like to ride? Do you ride? And I said, yeah. And in my riding, I was thinking of Colorado Springs on a trail with 20 other people with my family on a horse called Pokey. <laughs> that was my riding. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, she didn't qualify, and I didn't either, what it meant to... Do you ride? She brings out these beautiful horses, and everybody else, you know, four or five of us, they mounted on their horse, and I got up on this horse. And I am telling you that as soon as that horse looked at me, I didn't have to get on top of that horse, but as soon as that horse looked at me, he saw, sucker. <laughs> and when I did get on top of him, I could be convinced that he kind of turned around like this, went, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Because these were not trail horses, work horses. These were retired thoroughbred horses, not on Western saddles, not pokey. European saddles on thoroughbred horses, and the moment I got on, on that horse, that horse took off like a rocket and instantly left everybody behind, and Claudia, the girl's name. She was on a fast horse, too. But we had like a you know, 20 feet wide trail cut through the forest outside of Hamburg. And, we're just going, and it was designed exactly for that, to ride the horses. And this thing was at, at full tilt. And it was just a miracle of God that I was still on top of that horse. <laughs> you know, at that time, I wasn't walking in the things of God. So I wasn't saved and I wasn't spirit filled, but I, 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 you know, I, I bet you I was trying to speak in tongues at that moment in time, something to keep me on the back of that horse. Instantly knew I had absolutely no control and he was enjoying every minute of this. 
The problem is eventually the trail runs out. And on the other side where the trail ran out is a man's beautiful house and beautiful lawn and one of the most pristine flower gardens you've ever seen in your entire life. And so much is pride, there are signs in German to stay out. Do you know the thoroughbred horses do not read German? <laughs> and he started to slow as the other rider came up, but he didn't slow in time. And he hit, he hit that flower garden, you know, just, at, at just below top speed. And I'm telling you, flowers went flying, and this guy comes out. And I can't repeat what he said. <laughs> One, because most of I didn't understand it. But I did understand certain words. And he was not blessing me as an American. I hadn't been introduced to the guy, but somehow he knew I was a clueless American. And I'll never forget that because I applied to this principle just as soon as I sat down. Off it went. And that's the way it is with the mouth. Amen. Whose job is it to control it? Too many Christians walking around with the horse telling them how to live instead of them controlling the horse. Amen. Raise your hand if you resemble that comment. Just from time to time you say some things you shouldn't have said. Have you noticed how wonderful you feel when you say something you shouldn't say? That should be a clue. This is like an arrow that's shot you can't recall what? The word. And this will make you feel good. Physicists tell us, and astrophysicists tell us, that the word spoken, it doesn't disappear. My words right now are shooting out into the universe, and if we got the ability throughout the universe to pick them up, they would still be going out to infinity. Every rotten thing you said is out there right now. Every person you ever gossiped about is out. Every cuss word you ever said is out there. Pastor, thank you. I feel encouraged tonight. Praise the Lord. You get saved all over again tonight. <laughs> we can't do anything about that other than take spiritual authority of those things and say, with me, I break the power of those words. I command them to die, fall to the ground, and bear no fruit. And make up your mind right now, from now on, you're a blesser. You would never, as a child of God with revelation on Israel, you would never say something harmful about Israel. You would never put her down. You would never criticize her. You would stand with their leaders, as God called an ordinary people, to shepherd that, that state before Jesus returns. They're shepherds. They're regents. They're not owners. They're not even politicians. God, from the beginning of Israel's existence as a nation, and in recent memory in 49, God has raised up people to actually shepherd that nation. Jesus is coming back for his throne. Just like you would never, you would never in a million years curse Israel. That's the way you need to treat other people. But what if they hurt you? You still can't curse them. You bless them. And in between breaths trying to recover from the knife in your back, what do you do? You bless them. You do good to them. You pray for them according to what God has said. You make up your mind. You no more, you no more curse another person in this town as you would curse Israel. Can you get that revelation? Why? Because that's what a real believer would do. Someone who doesn't practice this principle is really 
not a believer that gets results and increase. Let me tie into that because I know we're interested in God increasing us. It's the word of God. You're going to find out the people that have learned to control that mouth, they're the ones that are positioned and postured for increase in the things of God and in every area of God. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them, don't let the horse run you. You run the horse. Uh, Cloudy rides up, grabs the reins. We're sitting there now in the middle of the street. I thought you said you could ride. And that's when I explained to her, pokey. (laughs) Do you have a horse named pokey? Do you know she never invited me to ride the rest of the time I was there in Germany? (laughs) I think her exact words are, you're going to kill these horses and they're worth a fortune. They were still... You know, studying those horses, and those horses were still producing offspring. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Tight rein. How many are familiar with uh, the name Secretariat? 1973, Triple Crown. Uh, experts say that he won the previous by 33 body lengths. The announcer only counted 25 body lengths, but let's give him a break. He had to do it live. He called him a machine. His heart was double the size of any other thoroughbred of his generation. And phenomenal physical shape. The harder they, they pushed in the more that he actually produced. And um, Kelly won an auction. Uh, we were in Florida one year, and there's a picture of Secretary crossing the line up at uh, Churchill Downs for the, uh, the Kentucky Derby that year. And it's, uh, it's colorized, and Rodney Turcott, the jockey, is on top of the horse, and it's signed by Turcott. She saw me eyeballing that thing. Well, she won that auction. I got that print at home. Amen. No, I don't advocate for you gambling. Amen. If you want to give your money away, sow it into the kingdom of God. But the animals that God made are beautiful. In fact, speaking in Job of the power of the horse, they, they laugh at fear. Say it with me. They laugh at fear. It doesn't resist or recoil the sound of the trumpet. He rides right straight into the battle there. God made him beautiful animals. And Jesus is coming back on one. And guess what? So are you. And more than likely, mine's going to have a name. Pokey. But I don't care. Even if I'm in the very rear, I'm just going to be very glad to be a part of that army that comes back with him. But his will be beautiful and mighty and glorious, the one that he is on. Years later, I heard, I heard Turcotte talking about that. And, of course, they, they start, you know, about this end of the, of the far track. They ride the first turn, the second turn. And he did something very unusual. They, they called him a speed horse. No one expected him to be a horse of endurance. Everybody say endurance three times. And in, in fact, and then in the movie, Secretary points this out, you know, Shem's owner and trainer thought that because of the way they were training Secretary for the third leg, they were going to beat him bad because Shem was typically uh, a horse with endurance. Go the first turn, and he starts to get out there in front, and they're all excited because they're thinking Secretary's just going to die at the very end of this race. And the reality is Shem on the backside actually died out, and people passed him up. When he got to the second turn, listen to what Turcotte said. This is a professional, award-winning jockey. He said after the second turn, he lost total control of the horse. 
he did not jockey that horse in the Preakness. That horse did to him what that horse did to me. He ran and he ran and he ran. And they asked him, why did you run the horse so fast on the first length? I didn't. You know what? That's what your mouth will do. Amen. What you can't do with a range, you can do with praise and the word of God in your mouth. Amen. And praying in the Holy Ghost. Can you receive that tonight? Look at somebody say, don't let anybody pope you. Come on, say, I refuse to let any man pope me. I'm sticking with the word of God. A genuine believer, just for tonight, controls his or her mouth. Well, that's easy right now. But wait until somebody provokes you. That's when you need to say a genuine believer has control over his or her mouth. We will get every opportunity to practice this. Why would I say that? Because we're around people. Amen? Glory to God. Let's give him a hand clap and let's just thank him tonight.